Today's episode is made possible with support from Platinum Bank. Your bank should be solving your problems, not creating them. Platinum Bank partners with Twin Cities executives to help them grow their business. Learn more online at PlatinumBankMN.com. Platinum Bank, providing a means to a dream. It's your dream. Chase it. I think that's the biggest thing. Everybody's not going to believe in it. Everybody's not, and most people aren't even going to understand it because it's not for them to understand. You got to give it life. Just like, you know, people, you can tell people all day long you're pregnant, but until they see that baby, you know, they don't understand how beautiful those eyes are, you know, the connection that you have. And so it's the same thing. Until you bring that dream to life, it's going to be hard to get people to get behind it and build that momentum. So it's your dream. Chase it. From Twin Cities Business, this is By All Means, a show about innovation, drive, and purpose, and the leaders who make business work in Minnesota. I'm Allison Kaplan, your host and editor-in-chief of Twin Cities Business Magazine, coming to you from the studios of our presenting sponsor, the University of St. Thomas Schultz School of Entrepreneurship, cultivating the next generation of problem solvers and innovators. The school offers undergraduate and graduate programs in entrepreneurship and corporate innovation, as well as community resources to support new ventures, family businesses, and corporate entrepreneurs. And now, by all means. Janita Flowers turned her love of baking into a business, but that's only half the story. Janita wanted her cookies to represent something bigger, the hardships and disappointments she'd overcome, the strength to carry on. Janita wasn't selling a bag of cookies. She was selling bags of hope. In 2018, instead of trying to get her brand, Janita's Jar, into grocery stores, Janita went to corporations using cookies to spark conversation, particularly with other women. But that really meant Janita was building two businesses, and neither one was proving particularly profitable. Along comes COVID, and suddenly Janita is unable to carry on with her corporate clients. Then came the death of George Floyd right in her own Minneapolis neighborhood, setting off a racial reckoning that prompted many corporations to make commitments to diversify their vendor pool and product offerings. Sometimes good things do come out of bad. Janita is proof of that. She took advantage of accelerator programs to rebrand and regroup, and it paid off. Janita's Jar recently launched at Target, and it's coming soon to Hy-Vee. She's living a dream she didn't even realize she had as a kid when a bakery business never even crossed her mind. And yet, Janita did grow up spending a lot of time in the kitchen. So I'm one of eight. Um, My parents had eight children, which the embarrassing thing is when I was growing up, it's like, your parents really love each other and you don't want to think about that when you're growing (laughs) up. Um, So I'm one of eight. And then my father's mother, so my grandmother, my dad's side, would come over every Wednesday and help my mom prepare meals for the week. And so we spent a lot of time in the kitchen. My grandmother from Mississippi, we'd hear all of these like really crazy stories. And I just have so many memories of being in the kitchen, um, connecting to what my family history is and just um, creating memories. My mom was one of those moms who made us wash the solo plates and cups on holidays. So we just have (laughs) all of these crazy things that we did in the kitchen. But when I think about it, all of my best memories were from times and conversations spent in the kitchen. So And everything was made from scratch. Mm -hmm. Everything was baked from scratch. Because when you have eight children, that's really kind of the thing that you have to do anyway. Sure. And I vowed that I would never, ever be in the kitchen when I grew up. I couldn't wait to buy Hamburger Helper because we didn't have that as a kid. (laughs) Like all these things I was going to do that, you know, we didn't get to do as kids because everything was from scratch. But turn around, it's like it just fills me up to this day 
of what we did, what we created, both food-wise as well as memory-wise in the kitchen. And so that's where the heart of my business comes from. Was there a family cookie? Was there a special recipe? There, you know, and actually the, the special recipe was chocolate cake. Oh. Um, cookies was something that I started to develop as I was in my teens. Um, my, my grandmother, all of my birthday cakes were always made. I didn't have a, a store-bought birthday cake until I was older and I used to request them. But I started making cookies. I'm a very picky eater. I don't like frosting unless it was my birthday cake. Um, and so I was trying to find a cookie that I could enjoy. And so I started with chocolate chip cookies and kind of just evolved. And I'm super picky. And I, want, I was always like trying to get the perfect cookie. Um, and so that's kind of how I started baking cookies. So did it ever occur to you as you were doing this and spending time in the kitchen with family that you would want to be a, a professional, that you would want to be a baker or a chef? Was that in the cards? Absolutely not. It was, um, again, because we were the, the dishwashers, the dish, you know, cleaning up the kitchen. My parents hosted every holiday function, and both my parents were from big families, so we'd have 75 people at our house at Christmas. Wow. And we had to clean the house, so I didn't want to have anything to do with the kitchen or any kind of domesticated work. Uh-huh. That was not going to be me. Um, but again, it goes back to, you know, those roots and what it did for me on the inside is how I ended up in the kitchen. Mm-hmm. So as I became an adult and when life would get stressful, when things would get really hard, I went back to what I knew. Hmm. My mental escape was being in the kitchen and baking a treat, baking a cake. It really wasn't into cooking or stir frying. Yeah. It really was baking because that's where we used to lick the bowl. We used to like, you know, ask, I would ask my grandmother, how do you make this? And it was always just a pinch of this in her Southern accent. And so there were just all of these connections in the kitchen that were filling me up and sort of building this um, reservoir of sweet memories, pardon the pun, mm-hmm. um, <laughs> that, you know, when I be- was older and I'm searching for ways to just mentally escape, I went back to what I knew. And that's how Janita's Jar evolved into a cookie company. So um, b- before we get to the escaping, what did can you, can you talk just a little bit about what your early career was like? What, what kind of jobs did you have? What did you do? So I worked in nonprofit. Um, I worked um, at the YMCA for ooh, probably like nine years. Mm-hmm. Um, but when, I, when I, I went to University of Minnesota and every summer I would work at a youth camp, um, something dealing with youth and families. And so graduating from college, I worked in nonprofit um, and I loved it. I loved the opportunity. One, first interacting with teens, working with young people, you know, kind of staying relevant as a you know, recent college grad. <laughs> And then that just kind of evolved into um, as I wanted to learn more and take on more responsibility, I was able to manage programs. I had an amazing boss at the YMCA um, and she would she just helped nurture my career. Ultimately, um, I ended up leading a nonprofit organization that was for families experiencing homelessness. I was their founding executive director Hmm. um, and we were able to build that. And um, it's still existing today, serving families that are experiencing homelessness. But I spent my time which is kind of what I saw my mom do. You know, we had families that lived with us growing up um, when they were kind of struggling or going through hard times. You know, my mom, would, they, we would move all us upstairs and they would maybe stay hmm. in the basement for a few weeks and we'd eat in the kitchen, they'd eat in the dining room. And so I grew up around that community. And so again, another thing that was shaping who I was and how I felt I could put value in the world. And that's what I did for a career for many years. Wow. I'd say almost 20 years. Huh. So very fulfilling work. Mm-hmm. So I feel like it's, I can ask you this, because I know you talked about this in your, in your TED Talk. You started having some, some personal strife. 
Um, and it was around that time that you wanted, you started baking more and looking for ways to escape. Can you talk a little bit about what you were trying to escape from and what was going on in your life? Yeah. And so um, faith was a big part of my life and growing up. And so if you do things the way that, you know, your faith tells you, you're, you know, you're kind of, re- you're reliable and you're kind and you show up in the world the way you want the world to treat you, you take that energy to, into the world. And so if you do all of those things, then you're going to get those things back. Right. And so, you know, building a family and, you know, feeling good. And then it just got hard. Um, I had to move on several occasions because my marriage just was really tumultuous. Um, and you had a couple of kids at this point. Yes, I had two children. And looking inwardly, because I'm thinking, well, if my marriage isn't working, clearly I'm not doing something right. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, you'd bring in the therapist and all the things that I'm trying to do to try to make it work. Um, I did have to get an order for protection on three separate occasions Mm. um, to try to figure out. But even when I was doing that, I remember saying to the judge, well, but, you know, can we still have contact if we're in therapy? Because I just could not imagine my family not being together because I hadn't seen that growing up. And so I'm like, well, we have to fix this because, you know, I'm doing things the way that I was taught. I'm following Mm. the formula that you learn as a part of your faith. Sure. Um, it wasn't and, how you saw things going. Right. And when it wasn't working, I kept trying. You know, I knew that it wasn't okay for another person to put their hands on you. So that's when I would seek outside help. But other than that, I'm like, but it, that, is that worth walking away from? Am I, you know, being, you know, am responding in the wrong way? You know, and then it went back to, I had a really strong family system. And so I thought, well, Janita, that's not just for you to consume. You got to be patient with the rest. These are all things that I'm telling myself. This is yeah. not something somebody was. So I'm thinking, well, you got to be patient with others, you know. And so then you got to take the, all that you got growing up and share that with someone else. And so it wasn't until the third time that I had moved with my children. And so they're seeing us moving back and forth to my mom's house. I moved to an apartment. And I felt like you're teaching your children that this is how families operate, where, you know, you fight, you don't get along. You move here one week and you move there another month. And I'm like, that's not how I grew up. And that's not how I'm going to teach my children that this is how families operate. So it wasn't enough for me to say to myself, Janita, you need to find safety for you and your children. It was really looking at my children and seeing what I was modeling for them that helped me make a decision that I had to figure out life on my own with my children and create stability. Hmm. And so during some of those rough times, and I'm trying to sort out, do I leave? Do I stay? I would go to baking. Hmm. I would be in the kitchen, sometimes like, like at one o'clock in the morning, and I would make cookies. And it started out making cookies for just friends. First, I started making for myself. And then it's like, oh, let me try this and trying different recipes and trying different flowers, trying to just sample cookies and see what they would turn out like. Um, and then at that time, all of my friends were having babies. So then I was like, well, I'll make your cookies for your baby shower. Huh. You know, and so it was it really of, relaxing to you. You yes. had so much going on. And, yes. and this is where you found peace. Yes. That, that was your Zen. Yes. Still not thinking about a business, just like this feels good. Uh-huh. And it was mine. Ah. So in a, when you're in a relationship where, you know, there's abuse and you're you're trying to get some level of control of your own life. Yeah. The only thing that I had, I had the history of the bacon cookies. And then when I did it, it was mine. It belonged to me because, you know, your children, you share like everything in, in, in marriage. Most of the time you're sharing with your partner. Sure. And so because I felt like I had no voice, I felt like, you know, just 
everything about my life was just going away. When I baked cookies, I felt like that was something that was for me and it belonged to me. Hmm. And that's how I was able to sort of have that mental escape and feel really good about it. So when did it click for you that, wow, you, you love doing this, you're passionate about it, you're really good at it, maybe it could be a business? So I've known since I was 12 years old that I wanted to start a business, but I was going to start a coffee shop. Um, not again. And, and that was only it was going to be called Beans and Beats, <laughs> um, because, again, growing up, you know, we you couldn't go anywhere. We couldn't do anything. And I'm like, I'm going to create a coffee shop that's just for teens and their kids. And parents are not allowed. Like, I mean, I had my whole little bootleg business plan of yeah. what I thought a business plan was. Really, there was no plan. It was really like <laughs> these are things that are going to we're going to have and these people that cannot come. Um, and so. I always wanted to start a business and I was intrigued by the idea that if something didn't exist, an entrepreneur could create it. I didn't really know the depth of what that meant, Mm -hmm. but I knew at the kind of the basics of entrepreneurship. So the seed was there. So then it was when I was baking cookies for baby showers and just for events. Like, you know, I'm going to can you make some for me? Take to work for, you know, a friend would have something at work. Oh, yeah, I could do that. Um, and then I would get the feedback. And then I was like, oh, this may be something I'm on to. And so I started at the Maple Grove Farmer's Market in um, 2007. Hmm. And it was just kind of tr- had zero confidence because mm-hmm. it's a different thing when you're baking for other people. Um, but marriage, I was still married and marriage was really hard. And every time I left, I had to start again. So even though I started it back then, based on people just saying it was a good cookie, I still wasn't convinced that I had a business and I had a business that would work. Did you have a name back then? Did you know that it was going to be a Janita's Jar? No, it was called Favorable Treats in the beginning. Okay. And I can't, um, I can't remember how I came up with, and it was, I knew the biggest thing is I didn't want to pin myself into just cookies. Ah. So I didn't want to have cookies in my name. And I wanted to, because I was going to be all things to everybody, you know, mm-hmm. again, going Think back big. to that 12 year old, we're not really understanding the full the depth of entrepreneurship, but I knew that I could create, it was feeding me so I could feed others and I could make, and, and then I used to make um, cookies in these hand-painted pots. I mean, I was doing everything. Wow. It was, no, it was not good. <laughs> it was not wise. But again, I think I was still in the mode of, I wanted to try a business, but I needed to heal myself. Mm-hmm. And so that's really what it was doing. It really wasn't the business, even though I didn't understand that until later. Um, this was a venue for me to do more of it to really start to bring healing into my own life as I work through my journey um, of just overcoming the hardship of an abusive relationship. Sure. So so when did um, when did your your marriage end and when did the business start to evolve? So in 2015, um, the, the Wednesday before Thanksgiving is when I got these, those papers in the mail. Um, and that's probably when I felt like I was really at my lowest. Um, and so there's sort of this and I spent nine months literally of battling depression. I would get up, put my kids on the bus and I would go to bed and I would sleep all day mm. inside. There was something every now and then that I wanted to start. I'm like, you can't go any lower. But I didn't entertain it because I'm like, life was really hard. And I felt like I had followed the formula, air quotes. Um, and I felt like I was doing things right, meaning I was loyal to my commitment. I was trying to be a good mom. I was trying to do the things that I thought would bring goodness into the world and they were not serving me in a positive way. And I couldn't see beyond like any lessons. And so it was about the reason why we talk about hope. It was probably literally after nine months of just the whole process of getting up, put my kids on the bus and going back to bed and just sleeping or laying in bed that it literally, and it sounds, sometimes when I say it now, it sounds like, duh, but it was like profound. I was laying there and it was like the idea popped in my head, like Janita. 
what if there's more to life than this? And again, like it sounds like, yeah, duh. But then like there was there was nothing there. Sure, I literally it's hard to see it when you're yes. in that kind of state. And so, OK. And then it was like I entertained it because I think always my heart was open, but it was so broken yeah. that I couldn't hold on to it. And so I was like, wow, well, what if there is? So at that moment, it wasn't some like earth shattering thing, but I grasped the concept of hope. So I was open to it. Nothing changed right away. It probably took another year for things that really started to look a little bit different. But now that my heart was open and I grasped it, I started looking for it. Hmm. So then when things would happen or signs would come, I was ready to see it as something different or see it as a sign to move forward. And so for two years, and I wasn't in a position really to work in any capacity that I could serve in a way that I felt like I could bring a whole lot of coherent thoughts and processes to a job. Um, but I had to go back to my old, um, cause I'm trying to figure out what do you do next? And I went yeah. back to my old performance evaluations from work and trying to figure out what am I good at? Cause I had no idea. And so using those and asking people's opinions and people are like, well, Janita, you're really good at speaking. And then I'm looking in my performance evaluations and comments and things. And that's what people would always say. I'm like, okay, well maybe I could do that for a living. <laughs> um, and so at that time the United Way had their, um, you know, they do their United Way campaign. Mm-hmm. And for two years. I was an, a campaign speaker. And so that was something where, you know, you wrote your, your, your speech and it really was talking about your inner engagement with any of the services United Way has um, supported. Yeah. And then you would go into companies and you would tell that story during the campaign season, encouraging people to first it, letting them know a true story of what the United Way does. And then encouraging them to, you know, support United Way. And were you sharing personal stories? Mm-hmm. Wow. The first time on the, I wasn't ready to share my own personal story the first year. Okay. The first year was my, my personal story of working in nonprofit. I see. And so I worked for organizations that United Way supported. So that felt good because mm-hmm. I'm like separated. And then by the second year, it was, I was a little bit further removed, but there were days that I cried all the way to my, to the location where I had to be. I always had makeup and a cold towel in my car because mm. I had to wipe my face and then just kind of put some powder on so I didn't sure. look puffy. Waterproof mascara. Yeah. And yeah. so then you, go, I'd go in because, again, it's like there was something that's feeding you even though you don't know it. And yeah. so I would go in and was like, so I tell people, Janita is the one that you interact on a daily basis, but Lachelle, she's the one you don't want to mess with. But because my name is Janita Lachelle. Okay. I'm like, you have an alter ego? <laughs> yes, yes. You know, Beyonce has Sasha Fierce. Yes? I have Lachelle. Okay. So Lachelle was the one that would get on that stage and she would inspire people. And then Janita would be the one that got back in that car and started crying. Oh. And it sounds crazy, but being able to separate my daily life uh-huh. from what I needed to do to put back into the world. And it was my process of healing. It gave me a barrier. Yeah. Um, so that I didn't have to fully like be there for them to really start to connect with what Janita's going through and the pain felt like it was out of body. But also, can we just take a moment to say that even while you were in that much pain and you were depressed, I mean, you 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 realized what you were good at. You knew you were good at speaking and communicating, clearly, as everybody can hear. Um, and you went out and found a, a purpose and, and a way to, to make that really useful for the world once again. Uh, you know, when you say it like that, wow. <laughs> Come on. But, yeah. but when you're in it, you don't see it that way. Yeah. And you, looking back, you know, it's, which is why, like, it's, I'm on a mission mm-hmm. that women will know that, one, you are not the only one. Mm-hmm. Because when we're in it, you feel that way and shame starts to set in and we don't, then when shame sets in, we don't open up and we don't want to talk. Right. So then it just starts to be this spiral. And so. I will be the uh, shame person that comes against shame and evangelist to the other women. Like, 
hey, let me tell you about my story. Mm -hmm. Yours doesn't have to be exactly the same, but I want you to know that there was a time when I had no idea what I was going to do. I felt like I wasn't good at anything and I felt like everything was failing, but I got out of it. This is not to tell you that you have to do it today, but I want you to know that you're not the only one and that you can do it too. And Mm -hmm. so that's what I'm committed to. That's what drives me because I know what it feels like to be in that space of darkness and not sure that you're going to be able to do anything tomorrow. I, I thought about taking my own life. It was one of those things where I just couldn't, I couldn't grasp what the impact on my children would be. So I, would, I never um, actually pursued it, but it, the thoughts were there because yeah. I felt like I didn't want to feel anymore. I mean, life was just so hard. Throughout this time, I mean, it had, this had already been several years since you had tested out your cookies at the farmer's market. Did you keep baking the whole way through? Were you baking for friends or had you kind of shelved that for a while? I was only baking for myself at that time. Like okay. I, when I started Favorable Treats, I just didn't like, I couldn't do vendor fairs. Like, so going back to the vulnerability, I couldn't be in that space because if people asked me about my business or they were, like, I felt like I would just cry at any moment. Mm. The difference when I'm speaking, again, that's when Lachelle came out. Like there was, I mean, it was like the microphone was like my secret weapon. I could be on stage and I can inspire you. But there was a there was a, a sort of a veil between me and the audience. You couldn't find Lachelle in the kitchen. Oh, no. Because <laughs> so, I was too close. Janita was too close to the people. Got it. And Janita feels yeah. Lachelle performs. <laughs> I see. So when did you start thinking uh, about getting back to cookies? So it was about 2017. So I'd spent two years with United Way. Mm-hmm. And then I'm thinking... Okay, I want to I really want to do this cookie company, but it's got to mean something. Like I don't want to just do a cookie company. And so that's when I I really didn't know what social entrepreneurship was. I knew I didn't want a nonprofit. But I so I just started research and I would research cuz I couldn't sleep during this time. I literally would sleep in 2-hour increments at night. So I'd be up so then I started just searching the internet and I that's how I discovered Impact Hub. And so they have this thing called Work It where they were celebrating um, entrepreneurs that are want to build meaning. And so I'd gone to all of these different events, learning about social entrepreneurship, and I'm taking it all in, still not understanding exactly how I could tie this into my cookie company. But I, I felt like I was onto something. And how so, did you even know about Impact Hub? And can you tell just real briefly what that is for people who don't know? Literally, it's it, it, I was only inter, um, doing internet searches. I'm like, how, you know, business for good, businesses with meaning. Mm. And so Impact Hub is, it's an international organization, but we have a local chapter. And they support mission-driven entrepreneurs to build entities that are going to put good back into the world mm-hmm. and kind of summarizing. And so when I, they have um, advisors, they have classes, they have ways that you can um, engage and learn about this is my business concept and this is what I want it to do in the world. And they will work with you to figure out how do you make that work and how do you make it successful. Okay. And so I engage with them and then that began to build my network and I... I knew at that time, like, okay, I was a stay-at-home mom for eight years. Nobody's going to really know who I am. Like, how do you begin to build your credibility? And so I had done one million cups. Like, I'm doing all these events where, hey, this is my idea. Do you think it's going to work? Would you support it? Any ideas, any feedback? And so all these community listening sessions. And so um, James J. Hill Library at the time, they were hosting one million cups. And I think I'd done a couple events there. And um, they came up to me and asked me, hey, would you consider blogging for us? And I'm like, I'm not a business blogger. Um, no, I want to blog for y'all. But I knew um, 
that I just I grew up in St. Paul. I knew the power that James Hill, James Hill Library had in the community mm-hmm. and the credibility. And so but I was like, um, tell my girlfriend, like, well, they asked if I would blog for them, but I can't I can't do anything that if I don't get paid for it. So, you know, I'd ask and they're like, well, no, it wouldn't be a paid opportunity. And I'm like, but I need this. This would be a strategic yes, because if I blog for them and this is their audience and their platform, it's going to elevate my name and my platform. And they had said to me that I can blog based on how I talk and how I write. And so I was more of a storyteller business blog based on my experiences, not the technical side of business. Mm -hmm. And so for that, I just build up credibility. I got back into the space. What did you write about? What were your topics? Entrepreneurship, but it was all from sort of a story. I'm a storyteller. So it was all from a just kind of, here's the lesson, here's the inspiration behind it. You know, like, you know, the top five things that you learned um, at the end of the year when you plan or like just kind of using reflection, but it really was about inspiring people to take a chance on themselves. And at this time, did you have your business as well? I mean, had, had... I had the concept, okay. but I wasn't, you know, I was still kind of figuring out how I was going to make, how do you make cookies in a converse, cookies and a topic about relationship violence, bring that together. So, <laughs> you know, I'm like, I have this concept. It sounds like two different businesses. Okay. You know, the more I engage and the more I talk about it, the more it's going to come to fruition. And then at that time, Finnovation Lab, which is also um, an incubator to support mission-driven yes. entrepreneurs. I was one of the fellows. I applied for their fellowship. And I was one of the, fellow, the fellows in the inaugural cohort. And that was the sweet spot. So you get nine months, you have a $50,000 stipend, and you are just in an accelerator where you're figuring out how do I make this business work? Mm. So this is after I just started blogging for James J. Hill Library. And I did that for two years. So by the second year, now I'm in the um, cohort for Finnovation Lab. Now things are coming together. And now I'm spending time going to companies, going to businesses and talking about this mission driven business that sells cookies. I'm not a nonprofit, so I want you to buy my cookies, but I also want you to know that it's about a message of hope. But it was through the Finnovation Lab that I was able to come up with the cookies and conversation concept where we would go into college, college campuses locally and um, I would bring in. So we had a panel. We hosted these two hour conversation series. I'd have a therapist to talk about relationship violence from her um, professional pr- perspective. I had a nurse practitioner, someone representing the medical community to really kind of break down those walls for college students. When you have been in an abusive relationship or you've been sexually assaulted, a lot of times we don't go in. And so having that person speak from their professional perspective about the importance that the medical community can be on your journey to healing. And then lastly, I'd have a survivor. And so we'd host these conversations with college students because a young woman between the ages of 18 to 24 is three times more likely to be in an abusive relationship during those years than any other time in her life. So I knew Mm. if I could talk to get college students talking about relationship violence, begin to remove some of the shame around the conversation and we could begin to create change. So, okay, so so you're bringing people together and they're eating your cookies too. Yes. And and did, is that when it all, I mean, how, how, first of all, how were those conversation sessions received? Very well. And so at this time I had my cookies, they were being sold on, at the University of Minnesota in their three student activity centers. So I would be out there, I'd have a table out in front, you know, for during the lunch hour in, you know, the Skyway system. Um, they were selling my cookies inside. I'm in the hallway just trying to get people to do samples. And I'm trying to say, hey, because I wanted student leadership organizations to host the conversations. So they, they would recruit their friends, their peers in their membership um, organization because those students typically have to do community service and 
So these are things where they bring their peers together. Mm -hmm. I bring the cookies in the panel and we would have the conversation. So that's how I was able to recruit students to be a part of it. That's a lot. That's a lot. That's a lot of pressure on a cookie. Um, so <laughs> so on the on your packaging, I'm going to get really practical for a minute because I mean, what you're doing is is amazing, and and I'm and helping so many women. Um, did the packaging talk about your mission? Lightly, and in, in the first iteration of packaging, it kind of told my story. But then, and so that was in 2019 when that's all kind of happening. But then 2020 hit, so okay, we can't meet in person because that was COVID. And so then I had to shift. And so that's when we redesigned the packaging. So now our packaging, it has um, my story. It has um, a QR code that links to my TED Talk. talks about, because it's really about a bag of hope. And then it has a little sayings yeah. um, that are on there. But it's, it's sort of kind of the guide to get people talking. The bags are purple because purple is the color for relation violence awareness. It's going to take time to really get people to understand really the, the depth of what the bags mean. Um, but the more they're out there, the more people are um, reading the story. If they're accessing the TED Talk, they're realizing that Janita's jar is so much more than a delicious bag of cookies. How do you sell a bag of hope? We'll find out after a word from our sponsor. Today's episode is made possible with support from Platinum Bank. Is your bank a partner or simply a provider? In today's environment, businesses need a bank that can move quickly and act creatively. Platinum Bank understands the Twin Cities market, partnering with clients to overcome challenges and capitalize on opportunities. Their financial products and services are tailored to meet the unique needs of your organization. To learn how Platinum Bank can be an asset to your business, visit www.platinumbankmn.com. Platinum Bank, providing a means to a dream. Well, it's tough enough to build one business, Janita realizes she's actually building two. COVID brought it all into focus. But the path to profitability was going to be difficult. So I still hadn't figured that out yet. And, so, and did you want there to be a, a financial give back as well? Or did you feel like the, the conversations were the give back? So me and this, you know, this I can do it all. Yeah. Um, both the conversation series as well as um, we were going to do a financial give back. And we realized in the beginning, the financial give back would be the conversation series because it's all in kind. Sure. Um, but it's still hard because you're building two businesses. You're building this conversation series while you're also trying to sell cookies. And it was really hard and it was very discouraging because the numbers were not aligning when I was in mm -hmm. doing the, the, the fellowship. But I needed, again, you know, that drive to want to make it work. I got to figure this out. Mm -hmm. But it, it was the craziness of COVID that gave me permission to say, Janita, you can't do them both at the same time. You need to build a profitable cookie company. So because if otherwise you're going to be the one that needs the handout to be <laughs> able to, you know, get anywhere in life. But yeah. you need to focus on building a profitable cookie company and find other ways to get your message out there until you build it to a place where now you're in a position to give back. Mm. So because but it was because we couldn't meet in person. Mm -hmm. So I felt like, OK, because my concern was I wanted to be true to my mission. And I felt like if I don't focus on it where I'm hosting these things, I'm not being true to it. But I had to be I had to think differently. Sure. And so, so how did you use that pandemic downtime when you couldn't be out there speaking? So during that time in 2020 um, and truthfully, in March of 2020, I thought I'm going to shut my business down. Like I gave myself a week to cry and be sad because what I had just done for two years of building a customer base, building an audience. You know, and I was selling to businesses. I wasn't selling to stores. It was businesses. And so 
they stopped going to work. So then it was going to be 85 percent of my projected revenue was gone. Hmm. And so I gave myself a week to be sad because I'm like, well, you got to you got to grieve it. You know, I'm like, I'm, I don't know what I'm going to do. And I'm thinking, like, is it smart to keep going? Because if you spend your savings, your little three months, then, you know, what do you do then? Because right. you don't know when this is going to be over. And so I just had to lean all the way in and I had to be uncomfortable. I had to do videos and I hate doing videos. But I had to do videos and tell my customers, hey, I need you to buy for me. I, you know, did, were you set up for direct sales at that point? I had my website, but okay. I didn't, you know, I wasn't really promoting it. I was because I was going to because I was like, if I'm going to sell cookies, I got to be able to tell you my story, too. You know, mm -hmm. and it was working, but I was only going to be able to do it locally. It was going to take a long time for it to really start to take off. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I, I 2020 forced me to think through things in a different way that I might not have been able to do had the pandemic happened. So what steps did you take and, and did you go to people for help? So then one of the big things that happened during 2020 is I was one of 15 women across the country to be selected as um, in the Stacey's Rise Project, which is hosted by the Frito-Lay Company. Um, and they brought on 15 women. We got a $10,000 grant. And during you, you pick as your application process what you want the team to, how you need support in growing your business. And you would be paired with mentors in the company to be able to bring that problem point, that issue to life. I love um, that. And so for me, it was, okay, I was supposed to go into retail. I couldn't because our packaging was all messed up. I want to redesign my packaging. And so that's, I was able to work with experts within Frito-Lay to design packaging that will work both in retail, but then also how do I lean into my story because I can't go out into the community? Mm -hmm. How do I let that be a starting point? For people to understand this is a mission-driven cookie company. And that's what I spent um, about, I think it was a 12-week cohort, cohort yeah. um, building. And I feel so good about what we're able to accomplish. And that's the packaging that we have on the shelves now. That's amazing. Then how, did, how do you manufacture? Did, did you have a kitchen? Were, were you hands-on at this point making cookies? Or did you have people doing that? I don't know if you want to know that story. <laughs> I do, I do. <laughs> um, so I already have, you know, so my, my production facility is located at 37th in Chicago. Uh -huh. So we're right in the middle of George Floyd Square. Uh. Um, so that was a whole other experience um, as just a community member as a black woman, as a black woman with a black male son. I mean, there's so many layers to why that was so traumatic. I'm sure. Um, but if we talk about the business side of it, um, it, it, so we were working there, but actually there felt like a sense of community when people were coming and they were just congregating in that space. And I felt like I had permission to, again, once again, keep going in my business because you don't know if you should stop and just, because we were just in so much, just upheaval and so much unrest that you don't know how to move forward. Yeah. But I was able to draw strength from just the community around me. And so we were producing in that facility. But I knew as I was growing, I needed to be able to outsource my production. I spent actually two years trying to find a, a co-manufacturer. Um, and as I was growing and knew I had some opportunities that were coming down the pike, um, I partnered with um, what I would consider um, a production partner. They're um, they do mass production, but they don't package the product. They bake it in bulk in like hundreds of pounds, and then your team then packages. I and so I worked with them to produce our product, and then um, that didn't go as planned. You know, <laughs> just like sometimes when you get married and you end up in divorce, sometimes when you bring on a production partner, you end up in divorce. And they actually, when I was launching um, for my target opportunity um, five weeks before the deadline, and with only half of the volume that we needed to have delivered, um, completed, they dropped out in the most 
epic way oh, no. that only um, they could do. Oh, so what? It's amazing how often I, I hear, and I think uh, particularly with food entrepreneurs, where there are it's complex mm-hmm. putting this together and manufacturing, and so much of scaling hinges on that production piece of it. What did you do? So, you know, I went back to what I knew. I already had a team in place. So I brought my team in. I worked with a temp agency and brought in some additional staff. We had the facility. I had the equipment to to produce our product, but I wanted to outsource it just because I, I didn't have to worry about. There's too many things I'm trying to build to take staffing and, you know, production management off my plate was what I needed to happen. But again, it's like I already made this commitment. We have this coming up. I there's nothing that I can do but make this work. And so we have the facility. I have the team in place and we just got to bake it and we got Started it all making done. cookies. Mm-hmm. How did the target opportunity come up? You know, and what people probably should understand, like that doesn't happen overnight either. We started those conversations in 2020. And so I was invited to a meeting. And interestingly enough, um, one of the target leaders um, watched my TED talk and um I know there were some conversations. Um, this is why your reputation matters, because there's conversations happening in the room and I'm not there, but my reputation is there. And so I was in, and actually there was a connection with my Stacey's Rise project um, team that I was working with. They were in a meeting with Target and somehow my name comes up in there and I'm invited to a meeting to talk about Janita's jar. This is when Target was, you know, they had just made the announcement about, you know, after the, the Lake Street store had, had, had damage yeah. um, and how Target just took this, this leadership role of, you know, we have insurance. We're going to get this fixed. We have a community that needs to focus on healing. So they'd already had this voice that they were making the community that we are here for our community and we're going to make this work. And mm-hmm. so it was during that time. And so I was invited to a meeting, um, but I was feeling a little deflated, you know, so I won't say I was like, oh, my gosh, Target. Why? Was, Why are we feeling deflated? Just because of all the uh, chaos? With yes. Production? With everything that was the, with everything that was going on in my community, you know, and you're starting to feel like, can, who can you trust? Sure. Like, you know, who is really there for you? Um, you have chaos in, in your community. That's very feels very personal and with the business itself. Yes. And it, yet there's this crazy opportunity. Suddenly it's like everybody is is paying attention to black founders. Yes. And, and, and how did that feel? It, it felt good, but I wasn't sure if I was ready. And I didn't yeah. know, you know, sometimes and it's not you wonder if, you know, is it heartfelt and mm-hmm. meaningful mm-hmm. or is it, you know, a fad or is something that's going, you know, on right now? Because there were a lot of conversations happening, you know, in the ecosphere about um, all of a sudden they're believing what black people were saying for all the years. You right. know, well, maybe those those statistics that, you know, we've spent millions of dollars on, maybe that means something. Sure. You know, it's like, but if you would just listen or if you would, you know, where we talk about representation matters, if you just had representation in that community meeting, in that board meeting, and really hearing from the perspective of people that are living it, or the people that are supporting people that are living it, maybe we could have done something. So you're not even sure who who's the allies and who are the opportunists. Mm-hmm. But I grew up in Minnesota. Um, Target has a really strong reputation. And, you know, I just had this really great reputation with the Stacey's Rise Project. And so I felt like this was a team that really had Janita's jar's best interest at heart. And so I felt good about the opportunity, but I was still scared. I didn't know yeah. if I was ready. Yeah. You know, and then if I'm not ready, then all of a sudden, you know, are you going to blow the opportunity for other people? Was Target willing to help you get ready? Yes, Target. And, and I think the biggest thing is Target was just starting some of the pieces. You know, Target has this 
really big goal of supporting um, black founders. Um, And, you know, I was, you know, and I knew that was happening and it felt like there were pieces in place. They were, you know, they were being really transparent. Janita, we're figuring this out too. And be patient with us is what they said. And so Mm -hmm. I'm like, okay, I can do that. Um, And then I connected with the buyer and we really just, but, and I felt we really connected, but I felt like she cared beyond just a product I was putting on the shelf. Mm -hmm. I felt like she cared about me as the founder and my success. She made herself available for conversation. She made herself available for me to ask questions and not feel like, oh, that's a dumb question. Because it can be intimidating as a small brand dealing with any big um, totally. entity. You, you don't like, okay, I need to probably know everything because if I ask questions, they're going to doubt me. Yeah. But she really built a level of trust where I felt like I could go in as Janita, Janita's jar, where we're at now, tell her what we're working on and be honest. But I got to deliver and... I feel like I can make this work. Did they want you in the local stores or did they have a bigger vision from the start? You know, I think that evolved in conversations. And really, (laughs) I felt like um, it still was intimidating. I'm like, I'm not ready for that. I don't know if I'm ready for this. And it was like I wasn't ready. I just didn't want to fail. And for me, sometimes I have a hard time of of seeing the growth process. It's either black or white. Janita, either you're here and you're going to go here. It's not giving myself the space to really level up really you know as they're asking for patience yeah i needed to be give patience to myself as well and so it it was it was probably talking about janita where do you see yourself with target and you know what is your capacity mm. and so as we begin to have those conversations it we started talking about you know starting locally and then the conversations got a little bit broader and we ended up where we're in 325 stores across the country um we just launched this past weekend which would have been june fifth mm-hmm. and it was an amazing launch um but target did some amazing things also like in addition to launching on shelf in select stores we have this full color shelf tag with my picture on it and it talks about my brand story you know so i feel like i'm on the shelf but target is putting you know their marketing power behind my brand to help support me in this process mm-hmm. so that I'm set up for success. If I deliver and I do the work, Target's going to do their part to help amplify it and I feel like this is like a perfect marriage opportunity where I can all the hard work that I've spent all these years doing, not quitting, not relenting, but questioning and Target's power that I'm so excited about the opportunities that are in front of me right now. That's amazing. Um, from a business perspective, how are you doing it? I mean, when you think about where you were in 2020, talk about how your operation works today. How many people? Where? Where are the? Where is manufacturing? So I think the the biggest thing is finding your support network. And so I worked with a key partner. It's Social Impact Strategies Group. Um, that's headed by Elaine Rasmussen. That was key. Um, I was able to work with them on funding. But beyond that, um, you know, getting my financials together, like down to understanding. I mean, you know your numbers, but, you know, for me, if you look at my through ring binder, I'm still writing equations out on paper because I need to be able to see it. Mm -hmm. You know, I wasn't using Excel. I mean, I had my budget on Excel, but the day to day, okay, these are my margins. I had, you know, staple sheets of paper, but able to work with, um, you know, one of their team consultants who put my financials together where we understand down to the penny what it costs me to run my business, what the scenario is when we have a third party partner, what the scenario is if we build out our own facility, 
Um, you know, when you every single thing that it takes to run my business, I was able to um, develop and really build out working with that team. And I think that is so important because entrepreneurs, we feel like we do it ourselves. And sometimes it, we don't even know how to access that kind of person because mm-hmm. that would be like a, a, you know, a fractional operations officer. Sure. My budget wasn't going to f- afford that. So I was able to work with that team to be able to build that out. Um, and then I already had a team of five that we were working with to make things work. Um, and then I partnered. And, and you were selling. We should just mention briefly that, I mean, you, you were selling locally. You, you went into the Dayton's project. Yes. You, you had some other smaller retailers. Yes. I was working with Caribou. I still work with Caribou. That was such an amazing opportunity. Um, just just the level of exposure that that has given to my brand, but also the level of credibility. When large businesses take a chance on us small vendors, yes, we can speak our own story every day, but that just brings a level of credibility, which again, people are willing to listen to you and, and give your brand um, a little bit more attention. Mm-hmm. And so we're working with my team of five um, and, you know, we partnered with um, a staffing agency to help bring our production to life. Um, like I said, I invested in, you know, $20,000 worth of equipment. So we had the equipment there. We can we have a full operation, um, but that stops us. And so now we're in the process of transitioning our production to a third party manufacturer. Um, unfortunately, it's probably going to be outside of Minnesota. Um, but, you know, we we're doing as much as we can. But now that we're in extreme growth mode, we have to be able to set that up so that we can um, grow and I can focus on the areas that I'm really good at. Which are what? I'm really good at selling the program or the the product. But more than anything, I tell stories Hmm. and I get people to believe in the brand beyond a cookie. Yes, we got to lead on taste because if they don't taste good, nobody's listening to you anyway. Mm -hmm. And so these are the recipes I grew up on. And if I like cookie, even making the cookie a crisp cookie, people call them hard. They're not hard. They're crisp. It's a buttery, crisp bite. Um, but making the cookies a crisp cookie was a hard change for me because I don't like crispy cookies. Really? No, I didn't before I made them. <laughs> but I, I'm like, give me a soft bakery cookie any day. I'm not eating them little things you got on the shelf. <laughs> that was my that was my big question. I've been waiting for the moment to ask. I mean, what's the secret? How do you get them so light and crispy? I'm not generally a crispy cookie person either but i love yours so when you're picky let's go back to like i'm a really picky eater uh-huh. um i literally i tested every flower on the market in the in my cookies until i found a texture that i liked and the reason we had to go on that path as i'm working with a food scientist to you know figure out shelf life and all those things with the product the only way i can have extended shelf life because i wanted to make a shelf stable cookie mm-hmm. because if you're making i felt like if i have a bakery fresh cookie i gotta build this business so if they only last three days I don't have time to build the business, you right. know. So, uh, you know, I knew that I didn't want preservatives because I wanted the labels to be as clean as possible and I wanted to be something I feed myself. And so in order to be able to keep without putting preservatives in the product, it then becomes I have to have a cookie where I bake the water. Con- like it becomes the whole mm. foods. I'm not a scientist, but they kind of it becomes a science thing. So mm-hmm. we had to bake it so that there, the water content is removed. And now you have a cookie that can withstand, you know, pretty much any. Don't get me to talking about science but (laughs) we had to make a cookie that could last on the shelf Uh in a certain way so that it could be fresh the day that you make it and six months later right but as a part of that i was testing out flowers and really trying to see how can i make a texture that i like and then take to the food scientist to make us make it shelf stable Hmm. and that's really um really that's what makes our cookie different but it took because i think i'm a picky eater and until i was satisfied with it because if it's too thick, then now you're getting into hard cookies. Like it had to be a certain. That's right. The thickness had to be right. And then it had to be a certain crisp bite. 
because if I'm like, like really like biting and breaking, I'm not going to eat it. But mm-hmm. if I just sort of bite and it breaks, I'm going to eat it. Crumbles and melts in your mouth. Yes. And yes. it had to be butter. Like, <laughs> let's be real. Like, <laughs> you know, it's it's butter. We, yeah. we grew up on butter and butter. Mm-hmm. Butter is good to the soul. Right. And oatmeal, you said. Yeah. So we have three flavors. Chocolate chip. Mm-hmm. We have brown sugar oatmeal. Mm-hmm. And then we have oatmeal, peanut butter, chocolate chip. And, you know, the crazy thing about how recipes and how come up formulations our brown sugar oatmeal cookie came about because there are people in this world that don't like chocolate yeah what yes believe it or not and i want to be inclusive so i want to be able to serve those people and so i had a oatmeal raisin cookie i don't even like raisins but i'm Mm -hmm. like okay but there are people that do janitas it's not about you (laughs) but with this equipment that we have and i had the smallest raisin mini raisins in our little cookies and they kept getting caught up on our wire cutter and it was so it was taking so long to make these flipping cookies. So I'm like, if by this rate, these are going to be $20 a pack because by the time you... Sure. And so, you know, I'm talking to person after person, these experts that, you know, like, how do I make this work? And they're telling me all these things. Like, you know what? I think it's the raisins that's getting caught up. So if I take out the raisins, because I love the batter, mm-hmm. and I just change the, the name, mm-hmm. I think I have a good cookie. And that's it. And I did a poll on social media. Hey... These are the names I'm thinking about for this new recipe I'm bringing up. Yeah. And then that's, I, so it was a crowdsourced name, brown sugar oatmeal, and that's how that flavor, it used to be our oatmeal raisin, but now it's brown sugar oatmeal. Way to problem solve, and raisins do not belong in cookies anyway. <laughs> I'm going to just go on the record saying that. Ditto. <laughs> <laughs> so there you are last weekend at Target. massive launch, something that other entrepreneurs dream of. And it's a goal for so many. How did it feel? You know, I'm I struggle with taking time to celebrate. You know, I'm always going from one goal to the next. But the opening weekend, like that forced me to not only and I forces the wrong word, but it was real. And so when I walked into downtown Target on Friday, because it was in that store a little bit early and like it was it was out of body experience seeing it on the shelf. But, you know, I'm a little extra. So I take the cookies off the shelf and I go to I'm always self checkout, but not today because I got some cookies that look like me. So I go into the lane. With Are your the, kids with you? Or are they like, oh, nope. mom, I'm by myself. Okay. I knew because that was what I would have had. They would have they would have just ruined the whole production because yeah, yeah. they would have been embarrassed by me. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, nope. So I get in line with the young woman who's sitting there. She's not even expecting it. And so she rings up the cookies and I, I said to her. Do you need to see my ID? And she's looking like, lady, you're buying cookies. Why I? She's just, I'm sure she's this one's going in her head because she hasn't said anything like, looking like, I said, oh, but do you want to see my ID? Uh-huh. She picked up the bag of cookies. I said, that's me. <laughs> <laughs> and so she's like, oh, wait, really? So she was not ready. Yeah. Um, and I'm like, yes, that's me. And so she then she started celebrating with me. She brought over two coworkers. And, and then she's like, oh, she's like, I had never seen these cookies until today. She's like, there was a lady who came in here that bought 11 bags. Wow. And I'm like, so it like that's when it's that Friday is when like the, it, the reality set in. Mm-hmm. And it was a feeling of excitement, but it was gratitude. Mm-hmm. It was gratitude because one, Janita, be grateful that you were able to stay the course. But being grateful that there were people that believed in you, created opportunity so that when you were ready, you could step in. And when I say you were ready, because I didn't feel ready, Mm -hmm. but I had done the work. So I knew I was ready. I just didn't mentally feel ready, but it was the right. It felt right. And so being grateful that, you know, they say when opportunity, you know, and preparation meet, that's how things happen. 
And that's really what happened that day. And it, it's still, I'm still kind of riding that high. Yeah. And I'm going to ride it for a little while. You should. You deserve <laughs> that. But it is just such a good example of how you, you can have an idea. You maybe don't know all the steps that need to happen to get to your dream vision, but you can get the support and, and get the help and, and learn. Absolutely. You know, I like to think um, writing is also something that I do to sort of process and decompress. Um, And so one of the things like when I'm just kind of when I was going through a few years ago, going through the healing process, one of the things that I wrote um, when I'm trying to figure out purpose, right? Like I'm like, what does that mean? And and one, I still say it to this day because sometimes it feels poetic, but it's purpose is who you are. Passion is what you do. Clarity is what you find, but only an active pursuit. And so Mm. it means that I have to always like you have to be willing to take a chance. If I'm sitting still trying to figure out purpose, it will never come to me because we're going to ideate, ideate, rationalize, doubt. But nothing is going to be clear because it's all in our head. But the Mm -hmm. minute we take those ideas, the time we've spent, because what we don't realize is that that stuff that's in our head, it's not in everybody else's. It's unique to you. Mm -hmm. But we don't know that because it's in our head all the time and it's overwhelming and it feels like we don't even have clarity because you don't. Because until you take a chance on it and start to put it in motion, what really is supposed to happen in your life is not going to happen until you start moving towards. And you're like, oh, I got to let go of that part and bring this part. Just like with the oatmeal raisin cookies. I knew this was a good cookie, but I'm getting hung up on it. And if I would have spent time just writing, okay, what are the 12 things I can do to make this easier? And how can I? It would have never happened. But you when have to I took let a go chance, of the raisin. Yes. And took it out. And I have an amazing product that. I mean, people are like, oh, my God, Janita, that cookie is my favorite. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I wouldn't I would not have been able to figure that out. And that's a small thing, because when you think about life, it's bigger and it's where we're going. But that's how I believe you stumble into purpose. I will never be able to walk away from the mission. And now what's happening, because I spent those two years really talking about, you know, it all begins with hope. Um, people are now becoming the voice of that also. And so we do a lot of that on social media. My goal ultimately is to build Janita's Jar so that I can create a platform where I can speak around the world, inspiring women to take a chance on themselves and live their best life. And it all begins with hope. So I, that, that meaning, that message will never go um, because it's personal. But it took me from a place where I felt hopeless. Um, and I know how low that feels. And if you're not in it or if you haven't experienced it, I don't think people can understand it. But you literally feel like life has completely just drifted past you. So I will never, ever walk away from being able to spread that message as a part of Janita's Jar. It's an amazing story. Talk about hope. I, I mean, it's just you, you, you must just have a lot of uh, pinch me moments and, and feeling where you came back from and, and the inspiration that you're creating for other entrepreneurs and just other people who need something to be hopeful about. When I think about it, sometimes it doesn't even feel like my life. Yeah. Um, because it, it feels so distant. But I think, you know, I think when we get a message in this world, again, it goes back. What we get, our purpose is not about us and it's not for us. We get to carry it into the world. And so by doing that and carrying into the world, yes, it's how it's how we all make the world a better place. Right. You know, we all have a piece in that. But because of what I get to bring into the world, I get to experience it first. So I'm able to walk in the healing part of it first, even though it was never about Janita. It Meaning it's so much bigger than me. Mm-hmm. And if I keep it in my or I don't ever take a chance on it, then it will never be the force that it can be because it's just sitting inside of me. So if it was just about me and just for me, it will be limited to just, you know, Janita feeling good today. But it's so much bigger than but because it's bigger than me, but it's from me. 
I get to partake of it first. And so I get to be healed from it first and then begin to share that into the world. And that's probably why I feel like it feels disconnected, but it still feels so powerful because every time I get to share the message, sometimes I'm like, oh my God, I got to listen to my own words today and I'm not feeling it. But it's, it's coming back to me and it helps encourage me. Because again, sometimes that's Lachelle up there talking and Janita's <laughs> feeling sad. So, and I know it probably sounds weird, but it's true. You know, sometimes when you go to work, you got to do the work. That doesn't mean you feel like in it. You're having a hard day. Mm-hmm. But when I put that out there, it comes back to me. And sometimes it encourages me to like, yep, you can do this. It's your dream. Chase it. Hmm. I think that's the biggest thing. Everybody's not going to believe in it. Everybody's not. Gonna, and most people aren't even going to understand it. Because it's not for them to understand. You got to give it life. Just like, you know, people, you can tell people all day long you're pregnant, but until they see that baby, you know, they don't understand how beautiful those eyes are, you know, the connection that you have. And so it's the same thing. Until you bring that dream to life, it's going to be hard to get people to get behind it and build that momentum. So it's your dream. Chase it. (laughs) Janita, thank you so much for chatting with us today. Really, it's just such a a heartwarming and uplifting story. It really is. Thank you. I appreciate you taking the time and inviting me to be a part of this today. Well, if you haven't tasted cookies from Janita's jar, you need to get a bag. They are addictive. If you eat the whole thing, it's okay. I won't tell anyone. I've done the same. For a little more perspective about all that she has accomplished and that ultimate question of profit versus purpose that I think so many entrepreneurs face today, let's go back to the classroom with the University of St. Thomas Schultz School of Entrepreneurship, where Shanita White is the new Associate Dean. We're so excited to have you on the show, Associate Dean White. Thanks for joining us. Thank you so much. It's my pleasure to be here. So you've you've tasted the cookies, is that right? Yes. Yes, they are delicious. They are delicious. We can agree on that. Um, You know, obviously we hear how how mission is really where she starts. And I think we I'm curious, do you do you see a growing number of entrepreneurs today that that are driven by the mission? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, social entrepreneurship probably started about 40 years ago, you know, as a a thing, Mm -hmm. right? Coined the phrase of um, social entrepreneurship. And just really looking at um, individuals, you know, who really wanted to make, you know, uh, systemic changes and, um, and impact the lives of individuals or the community around them. And it is growing um, tremendously. Um, everyone, I think just with the way the world is now, wants to give back, wants right. to help, wants to improve um, the lives of individuals, wants to improve the world for maybe their children and the next generation or what have you. So it is growing phenomenally. Um, and I think it's a great thing. It's a, yeah. it's a great thing that, that that's happening. It is, but it can occasionally make it even that much more challenging for an entrepreneur. <laughs> and, and as we heard, it was almost like in the beginning, Junita was was running two businesses. She had the cookie business and then she had her conversation business. That's tough to do. Yeah, Janita, she definitely has a story and a story that um, is meaningful. It's her story, right? It's mm-hmm. meaningful to her. It's who she is. It's what inspired um, um, Janita's jar and the product that she has with her cookies. And she wanted to tell that story. She never wanted to lose sight of that story. And so I think with social entrepreneurs, you have to keep that in mind. Don't lose sight of that story because that is who you are. That's what gives you that drive and that passion and that energy to get up every day. Cause you know, starting a business is not easy right. and you, you have to have something that kind of keeps you going and motivated. And when you have that passion, you go out and you talk to others 
and they feel it too. And they start to feed into that and they, they embrace with what, what, you, what you're um, inspired to do and you inspire them as well. And so she kind of had those two things going, you know, and she definitely realized at a certain point, okay, my story, I have the story. I've figured out how to connect the story to the product. So now I need to make a little bit of money. (laughs) (laughs) How do I keep this going? How Mm -hmm. do I grow it? How do I impact more individuals? I think she kind of, I heard a turning point in your interview where she kind of started to to see that, that there was a time to start to try to um, shift, not shift her focus, but realize that, you know, we needed to definitely um, make a profit here as well. Right. And and of course, by doing that, it gives her a bigger, broader platform to share her Mm -hmm. story. Yes, absolutely. So, absolutely. so basically, it's fair to say that that you can you can lead with mission, but it but it's it's not so bad to also think about the money. It's, right. it's okay to make it, a profit. It is, it is okay to make a profit because you will have a broader impact. You will be able to um, to be able to uh, influence others to again uh, have uh, a, a way to deliver your story in a meaningful way to more people. And to just improve the lives and, and just and actually accomplish all the things you were hoping to accomplish when, you know, that first moment when you kind of had the idea for the business. And so it is OK to make a profit, but never lose your story, never lose um, what drives you and what you're passionate about. That always has to be, you know, in there as well. I love that. And speaking of drive, um, another thing that, that Junita really did was seek help. Yes. There's, there's a lot of help out there today. Yeah, I mean, I, I think. Um, you could tell through the conversation that the two of you had that she definitely applied to a lot of accelerator programs. I think that was a, a wonderful um, and very strategic I- idea, uh, you know, something to do because she sought the help that she needed. Right? Mm-hmm. She knew that she was one person. She had a small team. She had these ideas, but she couldn't quite get it right. And so you heard from uh, things from her t- different um, accelerator, accelerator programs like Impact Hub, Innovation Lab, Stacy's Rise Project. We have them at the Show School of Entrepreneurship as well. Mm-hmm. Um, accelerator programs, Generator is one of the ones that we have at the Show School. But they all um, gave her an opportunity to have a thought partner, to have an, an experienced uh, entrepreneur. People could come in and mentor and help her, guide her, sit her down, talk through every step. She said working through all of her finances down to the penny. Yeah. I believe I remember her <laughs> saying about um, where all of her money was going. And I just think that was um, a very smart decision to just say, you know, I have all these things, but I can't quite get it together. The accelerator programs are phenomenal. They want to help. They, um, that's their mission, right? That's their purpose right. is to grow um, entrepreneurs. And some have a social entrepreneurship, you know, focus. And so she was just super smart to tap into that and to tap into all of that knowledge and connections that she got through those accelerator programs. Right. So the, I would encourage it. The, <laughs> the programs are out there. That That is one of the, the great yes. things about how entrepreneurship has evolved. Take advantage of the help Take out there. Take advantage of it. Good advice. Well, such a delight to speak to you, Associate Dean Shanita White. We appreciate you joining us. Thank you so very much. And thank you to our presenting sponsor, the University of St. Thomas Schultz School of Entrepreneurship. If you like what you heard, and we really hope you did, take a minute to rate and review by all means on Apple or Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you want to know more about the show, go to tcbmag slash by all means. Thanks again for listening to By All Means.
to make By All Means, and we've got some all-stars. Thanks to our audio engineer, Tom Ferlitti. Digital support is Ricky Hannigan and Dan Nepo. Thanks to the University of St. Thomas, Opus College of Business, and Schultz School of Entrepreneurship, especially Associate Dean Laura Dunham for all their support. Our theme music is by Song Finch. Thank you for listening to By All Means.